0: what's your favorite scary movie be afraid be very afraid. you're gonna need a bigger boat here's johnny the power of christ compels you the power of christ compels you whatever you do don't Hi, I'm Jamie, and I'm Nikisha, and this is Talking Horror with Jamie and Nikisha, where we share our love for spooky things and talk horror through the lens of human behavior. Welcome, guys! Welcome, welcome, welcome! <laughs> and this episode, we're starting something super exciting: our March Madness. Ooh, Ooh. yes, where we just <laughs> Wait, go into March, talking sounded about all incredible. things.
1: Yes. incredible. I know, like just. <laughs>
0: Oh, beautiful. <laughs> well, you know, like those, uh, maybe kind of the, the Twilight theme song, those like, you know, sounds in the background. Those times, that's, that's where my brain rents. But <laughs> our March Madness will consist of movies about going mad because, duh, this is horror and psychology all wrapped into one. So we're giving you all things mad during March and we are starting off our season of this talking about the 1960 American psychological horror film, Psycho, as you should.
1: She needs me. It's not as if she were a a maniac, a raving thing. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes, haven't you?
0: Exciting! <laughs> I don't know why, it's, <laughs> it's very delightful. <laughs> this is, you know, me half awake, Damn. so here we go. <laughs> <laughs> So Psycho was directed and produced by Alfred Hitchcock. The screenplay was written by Joseph Stefano and is based on the 1959 novel of the same name by Robert Bloch, which I did not know that it was a novel, and now I want to read the novel. This movie stars Anthony Perkins, Janet Leigh, Vera Miles, John Gavin, and Martin Balslam. So... There's going to be obviously heavy, heavy spoilers because we're going to get into everything about this wonderful film with a capital S. Yeah, spoiler alert, we're ruining and a
1: movie from 1960.
0: So, right. <laughs> <laughs> if you have not watched it, which I, we, I mean, I will definitely be talking about the spoilers that I had before I watched this movie and I wish I did not have, but yeah. it's a thing. So, you know. Watch the movie and then come and listen to all of our thoughts about it and Jamie, can you warn anybody of any of the triggers that might come up in this movie
2: um I mean there is a lot of talk about mental health and mental illness and representations um, so if that is triggering, this might not be for you There is some you know some some mild stabbings that happen uh, mild <laughs> mildish um, so if that is disturbing, if chocolate syrup is disturbing, then, oh. then this might not be for
0: you. Exactly. <laughs> so, are we we're just going to get into it? Should we get give them the, the summary and just start off? Sure. Watch
1: the plot. <laughs> this is, I, I'm Fantastic. happy to do the summary. This is one of my favorite movies of all time.
0: <clears throat> oh, word.
2: Yeah. Do it volunteering yourself i'll take it (laughs) okay (laughs) all right brian you have two minutes on the clock to give us the best summary you can give us i've never
1: been more ready in my whole entire life (laughs) (laughs)
2: yes (laughs) all right two minutes on the clock ready set okay so we open
1: up in phoenix arizona it's 2 45 in the afternoon on a friday and the camera zooms into a hotel or a secret bedroom or whatever it is and we see um we see uh marion crane played by uh um janet lee uh having a a nice little afternoon delight with her lover, uh, Sam Loomis. <laughs> and Sam Loomis is in deep debt, and she wants to marry him, uh, but he won't do it until he pays off his debt. So she goes back to her job at the work where she works for real estate. Um, and uh, this, uh, this real estate guy comes in. He wants to buy some stuff for his daughter, gives them $40,000, which in today's money is almost $400,000. Um And so, uh, uh, she essentially steals the money because she's going to drive to her boyfriend, Sam in, um, Los Angeles. Um, and on the way she gets super nervous. She has to stop at this hotel. The hotel owner, um, murders her. Um, and then her sister and her lover come to the uh, find that she's missing. The the, uh, man who lost his money uh, hires a private detective. Uh, He kills the private detective, or excuse me, somebody kills the private, his mother kills the private detective, and then his mother um, is going and trying to kill uh, the sister, and then it is revealed that oh no, it's not the mother, it's Norman Bates pretending to be his mother, uh, and he gets put in jail because he wouldn't hurt a fly but we all go a little mad sometimes that's the
0: plot. <laughs> nice that's fantastic you know i was watching the movie <clears throat> and wondering what uh 40k would be in today's time so that's interesting to know that would be it's three hundred and
1: seventy nine thousand nine hundred twenty nine dollars and seventy three cents today
2: Thank you for getting specific. We like to be detail-oriented yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Or as we
1: say in Talking <laughs> Horror, uh, we like the first minute of our plot intros to be uh, the first five minutes of the movie. And then... <laughs>
2: Absolutely. <laughs> I just really, and then we really... This, well, it's through. interesting
1: because this movie is fascinating because the mm. first 45 minutes before... So she gets killed at the... Well, Jamie and I... I, I, I stopped it because I wanted to know... Because Jamie and I were talking like... We thought that she got killed at, like, the 20-minute mark, but she's in the movie for, like, a full hour. Oh. And I, I, we saw she basically gets yeah. killed in the shower at the 45-minute mark, which is fascinating because the first half of this movie is filled with plot. And then the second half of this movie, mm-hmm. like, the characters think it's plot, but it's not, if that makes sense. Like, the audience knows that, like, yeah. nobody cares about the $40,000. Nobody. But, the, but like, the detective and everyone's like, this has to be the motive. And I, I just think that's, like, so mm-hmm. cool and fascinating. And, like, my plot intro subconsciously, like, was that, too. Um, that's all.
0: Absolutely. You have to set it up. It's all the exposition, because if you don't have that, then kind of going into it, it's like you said, you need to know kind of the motives or what they think the motives are, because that's what's driving the plot when that's not really what's going on. We know Mm -hmm. what's going on. It's a murder mystery. (laughs) So this is uh, my first time watching this movie all the way through. And we should go into likes and gripes about this. But I just want to start off by saying that I want to kick myself <laughs> for spoiling everything, because of course, in my Watch Mojo top mm. ten whatever's mm-hmm. of whatever's involving horror, of course the shower scene comes up, and that wasn't really the spoiler. But then you know you watch the top ten movie plot twists in horror movies, and then you see that oh, it was Norman the whole time, and I I wish that it, that piece of detail I didn't know. Um, because, but even in knowing that the story was still excellent because I didn't know that she died so early in the movie. Mm. I didn't know that the whole premise was that they were trying to find out what happened to her. And so when she did die, it felt like it was 20 minutes (laughs) into the movie for me because I was like, oh, this is a most iconic scene and it's already happened. So Mm -hmm. then what else is going on? You know? Uh, But the soundtrack for this is absolutely fantastic. I love the orchestration and all this. I love how it sets up uh, all of the shots. And speaking of shots, wow, incredible. There was something that I was reading or watching, I don't know, but they were talking about getting the shot of the shower and how they had to get a different shower head to make it bigger so that they can have the camera be pointing directly at it so that the water spouts wouldn't Mm. get on the camera when they were filming it. And he really wanted that shot. So they had to build another uh, shower head that could Mm. be big enough to where the camera could fit inside of it so that the water could go around it, which I thought was really cool. Mm. Uh, And the shot of her with her eyes when she's dead already. Marion is dead and it's like panning out from her eyes and it's just, everything about all of the directing of this is quite beautiful. And it seems so progressive for it to be 1960. I don't know, maybe because some of the things that movie makers are doing now is a resurgence of that kind of filming. And so it just seems very much in the wheelhouse of something Jordan Peele might, you know, conjure up in the now. Uh, And let me say that the two scenes that got me well, the, was the detective interrogation scene, which I'm sure we'll get into full details about that because that was fantastic, and the um, psychiatrist' his whole monologue, which I had to go back and find the script <laughs> of the movie and read well, you know, all of that stuff again. And I so that's your to that's your new
1: that. uh, audition monologue.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> oh. That was so fit. I mean, I was just in it, you know, and it's like you said, Brian, so much is happening at the beginning and then it does kind of slow down, but it doesn't slow down. You're just, everything is just happening mm-hmm. in real time. And so just seeing that whole progression of things, it's, it's just, it's fascinating because you're on the ride with them minute by minute. Cause it's just going like minute by minute, you know, but yeah, well, I know we'll get into all the rest of the stuff, but, but, uh, things that you liked in this, Jamie, did not like
2: um i mean i i really liked it i i'm pretty sure that i've seen this as a as a wee tot um <laughs> and i also like remembered all of those iconic moments from like watch mojo things and like other like scary movie moment things on bravo and all of those things mm-hmm. um but i man i do love i i loved the conversation um between marion and norman in the in the parlor in, in, yeah wherever that what room was a good um,
1: word that jamie when we buy a house we get it, it has to have a parlor I, I don't even care a parlor
2: not if it not if you're gonna go no, crazy first of all, all taxidermy
1: is not my thing so i just want to be very clear about that um I, se- second Check of all like i have no interest in owning a motel so like that's something else um Three, sure. like I, I don't think that I'm. A, <laughs> I don't think that I'm. Uh, you know, I have. Uh, we'll talk about what what we would, uh, what we think he has diagnosed like, But yeah. um, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I, I just mm-hmm. want a parlor. I want to be able to like pull out some nice fancy glass and say like, sit down, look at my nerd art. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, let's have a conversation <laughs> about you know. Um, if we should put our parents into uh, old folks' homes and then get offended by it. And then I'll end every conversation Absolutely. with, we all go a little mad sometimes. And then people will get afraid. And then I'll, be, I forgot, I'll put, be playing Bernard Herman's score in the background the whole time.
2: Yeah. Yes. Right, 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 right. Uh, just,
1: we could put a pin in that when we're buying a house, but I just wanted to put that out there on podcast, in the air, sure. so that people know that I'm interested in a parlor. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And that has been... Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's one of the – Parlor talk. One of our stipulations. Parlor <laughs> talk. Um, but yes, I did enjoy the parlor talk. That conversation is is so interesting, especially like knowing what happens. It's really interesting to kind of see like how much does he know what's going on? Like how, how mm. mentally ill is he? How – how much psychosis is he experiencing? Like there are these almost glimpses of like him connecting to reality, but like he gets so close and then pulls back and it's it's super interesting just to kind of see like how like his psyche is kind of making sense of everything that's going on, like his, mm-hmm. uh, uh, of reality as it is and not like the reality that like he's created for himself. Um, <clears throat> so that conversation is really interesting. I also did really enjoy the, I mean, it's so like of its time, but the conversation like of the psychiatrist explaining everything at the end, um, like I didn't, I didn't totally hate it. um, But it's, it's just, it was, it was super interesting. I I think what really interested me was how receptive everyone in that room was to this explanation. Like you didn't get a ton of resistance of like, what are you talking about? Like that doesn't make any sense. It was like, mm. "Oh, wow." But then like, what does this mean because of this? And they were and he was like, "No, no, no. I got you. Here's my explanation." It Absolutely. was it, like that was super engaging and not it didn't feel rushed in terms of like, "Oh, we got to we got to wrap this story up like let's just make it all make mm-hmm. sense." But like, I feel like they really it, it was thoughtful in in how they tried to kind of like you know shift the focus into like oh no this is like a murder mystery and like here's us solving it and yeah. and i i kind of dug it and yeah we'll get into specifics about like the actual mental health of it all but like i i i didn't hate it so so there's Kudos there is that, that. <laughs> um and and i did like i did like all of the kills <laughs> i think okay. that like they're shot really i mean again like it's just so um so of his style, it I was it made me think of this one time where Brian and I went to go see a, a Quentin Tarantino movie, and someone walked out and literally said that was so Tarantino esque, and Brian got so mad because he was like, "Yeah, it's a Tarantino movie. Oh of course, it's Tarantino esque." And I was yes. literally about to say, "Yeah, this style, like his style of murders, was so Hitchcocky." <laughs>
1: okay, okay. <laughs> Okay. Yes. I just, we were in the Alamo in Brooklyn, and I, in downtown Brooklyn, and I was just like, I was like, it was like walking out of a Spielberg movie and being like, that was so Spielberg And I'm like, yeah, of course. He directed the movie. <laughs> like, 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 same thing with like Tim Burton. No, like, like, if I was there. watching like, uh, 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 I don't. I, I can't think of it. Like if I was watching a JJ Abrams movie and I said that's so Spielbergian, yeah. totally makes sense. But if I'm watching a Spielberg movie, sure. it's like, and if I say like that was so like Hitchcockian, like that makes sense. But if I'm watching a Tarantino yeah. movie when he only has like nine movies or whatever <laughs> it is, and he's like that was so Tarantino esque, like, yeah, you know why? Because he wrote it and he directed it and he probably was overbearing yeah. in the editing process, like. Yeah, 100%. Okay, this was very Hitchcockian. (laughs) But (laughs) two things. The end scene that Jamie was just discussing, my favorite moment from the end scene was when they, those transvestite lines, because even though mm -hmm. they're like a little silly, like where he's like, no, a a transvestite is a man dressing up as a woman for a sexual charge or excitement or whatever they said there. For a 1960s audience, you know that someone is like, he's just a transvestite dressing up as a woman. Like, he was... Like, I really like that they kind of, like, they they pre-guessed what the audience might think because this may have been, like, a new reveal or exciting. Because, like, this is like gonna be crazy, but like I don't know how many twists in 19 like this in terms of like it was actually the same person, but they thought there were someone else. Like, I do not know the history. This yeah. may have been like the actual first time where like something like a DID or whatever we decide that this character has, um, it was presented. Be could like similarly to similarly to um, malignant spoilers for malignant we're like that is the first time i saw it. we could yeah. have guessed it easily because like we've seen so many horror movies and whatnot but like that was a twist we had never seen before really like how wild that was and and um so i really appreciate Absolutely. that so this is one of my favorite movies of all time 10 out of 10 no notes um <clears throat> i think that it is wonderful i think that um it's i haven't seen it in a couple of years wow does it hold up like really well um my favorite mm-hmm. thing this viewing time was when that camera at the beginning swoops into their hotel room uh, or whatever that room was. Um, uh, it felt like we were seeing something that we shouldn't be seeing, like the idea that we're like sneaking in through the window mm-hmm. and then like it opens it up. That like and then like it felt like the whole movie was like a secret we were on, we were in on. Excuse me. I loved that one, two, yeah. wow. Did she look like her daughter, or rather did her daughter look like her so much like um Jamie Lee Curtis looks so much like her mom. It is insane, mm-hmm. and then uh totally forgot that the doctor in Halloween Sam Loomis and all the other Loomises in horror is named after her boyfriend in this movie like
0: Ooh, <coughs> like yes, now that yes. we're like
1: watching all these and really talking about um. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis a lot more through the Halloween stuff we've been doing, <clears throat> and then like the Loomis stuff, and even uh, Scream because Billy's last name is Loomis. Like, Scream, yeah, this definitely had about. more mm-hmm. weight yeah. to it, knowing like what this spawned. Um, and and Jamie and I also saw right. Vertigo like last year or two years ago in movie theaters, and like the uh, mm. some of that does not hold up. Like, a lot of the sexism stuff in that one, drink your beer, yeah, it'll exactly. make you feel better, <laughs> but in this one. <laughs> What excited me about this this watch this time is I guess I never really – I was always focused on the twist and his mental health and all of that. But the way Hitchcock mm-hmm. actually um, not only depicts but like talks through and, and subtextually presents the idea of masculinity and how people see each other and the idea of femininity versus masculinity and how like this androgynous like feeling and things like that because – because Norman, and especially in the scene with the cop, where he's like, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, I could never be fooled by a woman or something like that, and the cop is just like, "Yo, bro, mm. like it's not a big deal," and he's like, he just seems very insecure about himself. Also, Anthony Perkins in real mm. life was a closeted gay man, so like a lot of that, oh, wow. and most of it, and he died of AIDS in 1992. Um, but. Uh, mm. it's just fascinating to me how much of this movie is just representative of the actor and of the, and and like also grappling with that idea of masculinity um, because, you know, like that Sam Loomis character like feels very masculine, the way that he talks, the way that he like takes over the conversation. Mm -hmm. Whereas Norman is part mother, part him and whatnot. I I just, I just love this movie. I think this is one of the, this is the best, like, this is the best. This is this is the best. I feel like you watch a lot of movies where you're like, I understand how this started things and things like trickle down from this, but it's not like the best. Um, this is the best. And that has been yeah. Parlor Talk with Brian. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Well, it is fascinating, Brian. You mentioned something about the, how Hitchcock does the subtext and everything. And that just reminded me of all of the scenes where you're just seeing the character, but exposition is happening. And especially with uh, Marion in the car. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of, it goes both ways because you're thinking, oh, is he just giving you the storyline when they're talking about, the people discovering that she might've taken the money because they're trying to find where she is. And so they're going through all that dialogue, but the camera is just sitting on her and driving. But, or is it what she thinks is happening in her brain because she kind of reacts to it as well. Her facial expressions change. And I think it's, kind of the same that uh, it parallels when Norman is, uh, you know, sitting in the, the jail or the holding cell, the holding area, and kind of dialogue and stuff is going on within his mind. And so, of course, that's coming from, you know, him and everything that's going on in his mind. But it's just interesting seeing the camera shot parallels of that. And so that kind of makes me also want to believe that some of the times when you're seeing just the one character and exposition is going by that it might just be what they're thinking is going on in their head and maybe not necessarily what is exactly happening or, you know, whatever the case may be. So it's just interesting that tactic for, uh, giving away, kind of exposition as opposed to he could have just went back and shot all of the you know the the people trying to find her and the other secretary she was working with and the boss figuring out all this stuff and so i I thought it was just kind of a a great way to give you that but we're still in the real time even Mm -hmm. though other things are happening you know um and i do want to go back uh to specifically some human behavior things, because I and these are questions for both of you guys because it's just a matter of what you think or your opinion about on the matter is. But in Marion stealing the money, you know, we don't get too much into her specific character and her identity, but we don't really think that she's somebody who was gonna steal this money, but she does. And so I guess. In the sense, do you think that her love of of Sam and wanting to you know pay the wife's alimony and stuff like that? Do you think that um, her stealing the money is a believable uh, kind of thing in the story, or is it just something to kind of help the storyline to make it seem like? Because I don't know you, and, and I'm def- like going another way with this, but in watching that scene, it is. Kind of believable, you know, irrational love we see it all the time in culture and we also in in film culture and we also see the film culture of um, having remorse for the bad guy so it's set up that she's the bad person because she stole this money, but then she gets in a situation where now she's kind of turning from that and wants to return the money, but then before she could return the money, she dies and it's like are we supposed to have remorse for this person? You know, what is the audience supposed, what does the director want the audience to think about this particular person? Uh, so going back to my initial question and whatever you guys' thoughts are about this, but do you think that even though we don't get so much into Marion as a character, do you think that it's a believable response that she would be so in love that she would steal this money? Or does it not matter? Because that's not what the story is about. What do you think?
1: I'm ha- Jamie, do you want to go or do, would you like me to go?
2: Um, I I can go. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think it's really cool. I actually <laughs> okay. was just listening. <laughs> I good was answer, just listening good answer. to. Uh, Let's look at
1: the board. A
2: a different (laughs) – I was just listening to another podcast, uh, True Crime Obsessed, and they cover um, like true crime and they cover documentaries and things like that. And literally one of them that they did was this woman who was like having an affair with this married guy who said like, oh, you know, I need to buy out my share of the business or like sell it to my wife and like have enough money and then I'll leave her and then we can get married. And she Mm -hmm. literally gave him so much of her money – um, in cash. I don't, I don't even know like Mm. all of that, but like, like tens of thousands of dollars of her own money. She got the second mortgage. She like pulled from her savings, like all of this stuff to give to this guy. Um, and then, uh, and then she, she disappeared. And like he, Mm -hmm. this person like was never actually arrested for her disappearance. Um, but like, Yeah. I think that people, I think people are motivated by, it's like a, it's like this weird crossover between like, you know, your love being so strong and, and there's that, you know, (laughs) oxytocin neurotransmitter in your head. That's like reinforcing all this (laughs) stuff that you're willing to do a whole lot of things for that person. Um, whether he asked her to or not. Um, and like, you know, he, he's not putting that on her. She's taking it upon herself to do it. Um, but like, I think that people who are asked are also doing it very frequently again, like whether they, whether they like actually want to, or like are feeling, mm-hmm. you know, that pressure to do so. Um, but yes, I, I think that this is like very realistic. Not that I think people are stealing money left and right, but
1: I would you know. steal,
2: uh, I just want to say, even in I you would bringing, st-
1: I would steal money steal? for you, Jamie, if, if, <laughs> Oh. Don't
2: don't. Okay. Say, first of all, don't. Hear Second <laughs> of all, don't say that here on a recorded Monopoly, platform.
0: Uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, well then, sorry, Nikisha. There you go. Uh, parlor, I will just it's say, just really, talk. yeah, really quickly that just parlor talk. Um, that just reminded me of the Tinder swindler. Which, if you have not watched that on Netflix, you guys absolutely should and let me know what you think about it but it's the exact same thing of these girls falling in love and giving this guy all of their money because Mm. he is quote unquote in trouble and you look at it and you're saying this is this can't be real how how in how could you possibly but how he you know wines and dines them and makes them fall in love with him and so even in you just speaking that, that should remind me of that, which goes back to this could be believable behavior that she was still money for this man because she wants to to be with him. But anyway, go ahead, Brian. Yeah. Watch no, the Tinder swindler. That's the thing. Um, yeah. here's
2: here's the here's the here's what you do. You don't fall in love. That's where everything goes wrong. <laughs> and, there you go. Lessons learned. And as, Thank you, it, everyone. As, as yeah, Jamie's
1: fiance, that was parlor talk. Right, so <laughs> right. I have a couple of things to say about everything that you've just said. I do not think at the beginning of this movie she was capable of doing that. I think that that cowboy being pushing the fact that her daughter, his daughter was getting married at 18. Here's a picture of her. She's been working at that office for 10 years. His awful, obnoxious behavior is what made her snap. And I think that she's – I think she was always kind of capable of it and like – so we're presented with her love for Sam and Sam's kind of like – I guess in 1960, like he's a gentleman. He's not going – I'm not saying that like he he can't marry her with debt and stuff like that. But like I think that he's – I don't know if he's like – it's never clear if he just like is on the fence about her or like doesn't know. He likes us long distancing Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Regardless, like I don't know if she – She's just so sick of not being married. And this movie has a lot of that theme. Like, Norman kills his mom because she found somebody else. Like, the marriage idea with throughout all of this is, 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 is definitely a constant throughout. But I think that that man who gives them the $40,000 is the leaping off point for her to just be like, you know what? If this obnoxious dude's 18 year old can get married and here I am, whatever age I am in 1960, like, and I want to marry this man, like I'm going to make this happen. And that leads to the voiceovers because the voiceovers Mm -hmm. happen before those events can actually happen. Meaning she leaves on a Friday her sister is gone the whole weekend. She falls asleep in the car Friday night where the, where the, um, where the, uh, cop finds her. Then Saturday mm-hmm. sh- morning, she swaps her car out. And then Saturday night is the rainstorm. Um, and she's killed on Saturday. And then they wouldn't find out that she was missing with okay. the money till Monday, but the voiceover happens on Saturday. So this is her anxieties yeah. about, and, and, and so we get to see inside of her psyche where she's creating these future moments and like feeling guilty at one point she like has a devious smile because like maybe she's like super high on the idea that she's doing something wild but then but in the hotel room she's like writing out like okay i spent seven hundred dollars on the car how much am i gonna have to like pay back this forty thousand dollars because she's gonna go back so (laughs) I think that it is 100... I agree with both of you. I just went a little bit more um, crazy with it, mania with it. Um, I think she was totally capable of it, and I think the movie presents the fact that the guy who gave the money is the reason that like really set her over the edge to be able to do that. And then she gets so anxious and jarred when she sees her boss walking through the crosswalk. Um, And that's just like... She hightails it out of Mm -hmm. there, then the cop. She's terrible, at um being sneaky um and even like when she puts the money in her bag it like kind of doesn't fit so as an audience member it like feels unnatural that she's doing this like she's doing this this is not something that Mm. her character but that his this is something that her character has to do if that makes sense um that like absolutely that definitely uh and even that that tense moment of you think Norman missed the money, but then you know Norman finally will finds it, will finds the um, newspaper, and then throws that in the car. Like I just think it's mm-hmm. all it's all interesting. I, I don't think I I don't think I ever paid as close attention to the first ten minutes or twenty minutes as I did this time. Um, uh, especially yeah. because of the obnoxious like cowboy man.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> which I mean that's a that's a great point that I didn't even think about that him he was the kind of the catalyst into oh, her oh the saying, cowboy okay, man you know, was a you know. catalyst boo <laughs> and that was parlor talk right
2: <laughs> <laughs> um wait I yeah. have a I have a question a personal question um so like in talking about like the anxiety thoughts because that's kind of what I feel like is going on is like, Mm. she's going through uh, like, okay, this is what happens next. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I can hear my own thoughts. Like I can hear when I'm thinking like narrated in my own voice and I learned that not everybody can hear their own thoughts. Um, so Mm -hmm. I'm curious, can you hear your own thoughts or do you just like know what you're thinking without like hearing your voice kind of narrating in your head?
0: It depends. There are some moments where I def, uh, um, I just it, it, I'm thinking it, it happens, but I'm not hearing it. Mm-hmm. But in longer, just sit downs, I definitely hear my own thoughts, and sometimes it's not even in my voice, which is also Ooh, really weird, spooky. Sometimes, yes, I don't know. I'll show what them. That I is, wouldn't know a fly. Sometimes it's my voice. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's and it's interesting too because. You're thinking through stuff in your brain, or if you're thinking about, you know, a conversation that you want to have with someone. And so in my brain, I'll be thinking about me talking, but also that person talking. So I'm hearing both of the voices. Wow, mm-hmm. that sounds like it's something else. But yes. So you're just hearing all the different the different things. so I definitely hear uh not only my thoughts or in my voice, but in other people's uh mm-hmm. voices as well. I don't no. know. What about you? Brian? I cannot
1: hear my own thoughts. There is no voice really? in my head saying things. There's, I cannot hear my own thoughts. I have to verbalize things. Um, I know that I'm thinking something. Mm-hmm. So, like, my brain knows that I'm thinking, like, I want banana pudding. But nobody's telling me that I want – like, yeah. there's. it's not my voice or my mom's voice or anything in my head saying, like, you want banana pudding. Um I was hardly <laughs> talk um <clears throat> I uh, I cannot hear my, my own thoughts. I I really do have to like, oh that's in like, oh do I want the banana pudding? You know, like I ha like some
0: Oh not out always. loud. Yeah, you're just yeah, you're but sometimes like loud, if I need to yeah, like okay. if I'm, I'm
1: making a decision, I need to like write things down or say them out loud and see them. I'm a visual I'm a very visual person in general, but I cannot hear my own thoughts. My mm. thoughts do not keep me up at night um because I can't hear anything. Yeah.
2: I, don't, I literally don't know what that life is like. Can you say? I, I, I need somebody to share this. Yeah,
1: with so you. I can't hear my own thoughts.
0: Yeah. I mean, that might be interesting because Brian, you said you're a visual learner, so that makes sense. And I do better listening to things. So maybe that's mm. why all of the thoughts, like I, I hear them because, you know, especially in the the music, being in the music world it is nothing sure. but just listening. And so maybe it, maybe it has to do with the type of learner I mean, that you are. I
1: <clears throat> I've yeah. never really been good at harmonies. Uh, I think that has to do with, like, not being able mm. to hear things in my head. Um, I also – wow. I actually didn't put that together until right now, which is, like, pretty wild. Um I am yeah. not good at math on the fly. I need to do it. I Like if somebody asked me to do like this times this or this plus this, like I cannot visualize those numbers in my head as much and I will get distracted if I get stuck at some point. And and, I, and it's not like an ADD thing. Oh, wow. It's it's literally like if you ask me what like three times three is, I can tell you it's nine because I memorize that fact. But if you asked me like 116 yes. plus, you know, um, 215, like – It's going to take me, even though, like, on paper, I could do that in two seconds. But in my head, I I cannot do that immediately. It's really going to take me a second to, like, Mm. actually, like, visualize that. I guess that's a different different quality because that could be, like, visualizing something in your head versus, like, hearing something in your head. Um, Because, like, if someone says, like, can you see an orange? Like, I don't necessarily see an orange right in front of me, but I know what an orange looks like in my head. Um, So that's – that's. I never thought about any of this until... Because I can't hear my thoughts. But I never thought about any of this until right now. <laughs> like the the music thing and that like... <clears throat> I can figure out a note. Yeah. Even if I hit it wrong first, I know if I'm lower or higher than it because mm. that's the listening skill. But like I can't like... Unless right. I have a pitch pipe or something. Like I guess I know I don't have perfect pitch. That's besides the point. But like I I like won't even know if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean that is interesting because yes, I was about to go into a whole thing. But yes, this is is super fascinating. And we got to get some more details and episodes uh, about this particular learning thing. But (laughs) speaking of all the voices inside of all of the heads, let's get into some of Norman's thoughts inside of his head, because there's a lot of conflict uh, there. And I want to just bring up a couple of points, and Jamie, I just want to hear your uh, opinions on the matter, but one of the first things that he says in the parlor scene with the infamous parlor talk, Norman says, a boy's best friend is his mother. And uh, Jamie, I just want you to go into kind of the complexities of the (coughs) statement, because you know, we have kind of the Oedipus complex, uh, which is a thing, do you feel like that is in relation to what is happening here? Um, Can you just kind of speak on his personal what you feel his personal relationship with his mother was and how that kind of has led him into before jamie is, says yeah.
1: anything you mentioned the oedipus comic complex he literally mm-hmm. says a son is a bad substitute for a lover so i just wanted to throw that into the mix as well as um yes what you said Absolutely. so and i just wanted to, yeah yeah what a scene
0: no that's great
2: yeah, there's also uh, there was that scene with who was it? Like the the sheriff or something where they're like begging him to to like go and check out Norman and and they're trying to say like no no, no it's fine and you know like it's probably all okay blah blah blah. But mm-hmm. he like gives some insight I think into the like into who Norman is and like the dynamic between him and his mom because yeah. I feel like the way that norman is like presenting himself definitely makes me wonder about like who she was like we are seeing mm-hmm. a version of her through him so we're not yeah. getting her um <clears throat> but fair i i am very curious to see or like to to know more about like what was she like like how did how, where did these beliefs come from Mm-hmm. And and like, how do we get here? Because like, we're only getting what his perception of his mother looks like, right. um, and not not necessarily reality. But I, but like, even like, once we get to diso- dissociative identity disorder and like all of that, you know, a, a lot of that comes from trauma, and like, makes me wonder like, how much trauma Norman has endured. Mm-hmm. From Norma, it's, that's a very that's very hard for my mouth to say both of those names back to back. Yes, um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I mean even that is nuts. So I yeah. I have to. I mean that's like a very judgy thing for me to say. I'm so sorry if your name is the same or very similar to your parents, but like that's wild. The
1: the I that fact that's the wild. narcissism
2: behind that is just so like I think that even gives us a clue to like the kind of person that she is and, Mm. and, and yeah. So like my, my guess is, you know, it was just them, you know, the, the hot duo and, and he, he was, he was like serving some need for her. And, and again, like, we don't know, there could have been trauma that, that he experienced. Like, we don't really know what, what their experiences together looked like. Mm -hmm. But we, we like then later learned that, you know, then she, she moved on and like found somebody else and like he couldn't handle it. But I think part of that is like what I imagine is the grooming that he experienced by his mom for their dynamic to be so enmeshed and like unhealthy that he couldn't handle the fact that like now she was shifting focus to somebody else. So like, again, again, we're seeing so much from Norman's perspective, but Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that like the, the puzzle pieces that we get into Norma kind of give more context to like why Norman is operating in this way. I don't know if that totally answers your question. I didn't really talk about the Oedipus complex thing, but mostly because like, I mean, I think I like, I find Freud and like, Oedipus and the electric complex really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I uh, I am not like very Freudian or psychoanalytic. So so that's just not like a place that I typically skew. Yeah. Um but I think that I, I think that these ideas come from like, you know. Like this type of situation, if this was real, like this enmeshed type of of relationship between mother and son, like Mm -hmm. does then kind of really blur and, and skew the boundaries of like, what does this relationship look like? Like she is a woman, he is a man, but she is his mother and he is her son. She inherently holds like some degree of authority and power over him as Mm -hmm. his mother, but also he might physically hold more power because he's like a strong man and she is supposedly like this frail woman. So like, there's a lot of these like weird dynamics at play. Um, also, yeah, but yeah, I, I, yeah, Norma, Norma, Norman, don't um, don't do that. So, As the, so a little
1: parlor talk. As the producer, I just want to be super clear that we are only talking about Psycho. We are not talking about Psycho 2, Psycho 3, Psycho 4, The Beginning, or the Bates Motel TV show mm-hmm. that does chronicle the relationship between Norma and Norman, starring Freddie Highmore oh. and Vera Farmiga. Um, I, I, I personally have not seen anything other than this original movie, um, but we are just talking about what Hitchcock presents in these 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 this hour and a half two hours, um, I just want to be super mm-hmm. clear because, like, I I I mean, uh, or or the Vince or the Vince Vaughn Gus Van Zandt remake,
2: ugh, Blech. um, oh no, that's a really good point because yeah. I I actually think I've seen like some of Bates Motel and like it's it's trying to show us like in a in a contemporary setting what the relationship looks like between mother and son. Um, so it's, it's definitely, I think that that's trying to kind of resolve some of this, like these open ended questions of like, okay, well, like how did we get here? Like we all know this, this story is, is like known How, how, like, how do you end up in this place? And, and that's why I say like, I think there's so much that we're missing, like not seeing it. Um, and like that's that's what I'm particularly interested in.
0: Yeah. And then just going along with that uh, relationship, he in the parlor scene also talks about being in traps, you know, and everybody has their own personal traps and you put yourself in there, which is what Marion said that she did. She made her trap, but he said that he was born into his trap. So are we to believe that he was born with some kind of mental illness uh, and then it might have increased with the death of his mother or things that were happening with just him and his mother before she died? Because uh, I think, I forgot who mentions it, but someone mentions that he grew up as a bad boy and Mm. then things just kind of got worse. So what, what are your opinions about that? Do you feel like this is saying he was born with this and then it just other factors contributed to how he ended up now or?
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. Um, I, I, cause I imagine, you know, there was, when he, when he murdered his mom and his mom's uh like new partner, um, mm-hmm. There, there was probably things going on well before that, and like, you know, that was an escalation. But typically, there's like other things that that are going that are going on before it gets to that place. And yeah. and like, you know, like the idea of a fifth of rage, I think, is is not as realistic all the time. Like sometimes I think it can happen, but like mm-hmm. my guess is that there was probably a lot of other. We talked about like you know, antisocial personality disorder and things like that where, you know, d- there's uh, other abuses that are taking place, like abuses of animals, things like that. I mean, he he says that he's a taxidermy uh, hobbyist and, right. and we don't know how he acquires any of these birds that he is taxidermying. Right. Um, but it certainly is interesting that you know, and again, there is no, this is not saying anything about like, if your hobby is taxidermy, like that's cool. I don't, I don't personally think you're a murderer. Um, so I'm not saying that, but I do think that like, it's interesting to potentially have this outlet. Um, if he is also like struggling with mental illness and then, and then just like the, the, the relationship that his mother has, like Mm -hmm. is the catalyst for, things to escalate significantly. Um, but I'm, I'm sure that there was a lot of like that coupled with like, again, potentially whatever experiences he had with his mom, I think, uh, you know, probably didn't help.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because, and we're, you were starting to go into this. So let's just go into, you know, what we would say like the dsm-5 of 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 it all but i love that you use
1: these terms it brings me great joy
0: (laughs) somebody give me an honorary degree let's make it happen here we go (laughs) where i'm right in it now (laughs) uh but in the big psychiatrist uh monologue he mentions that with two minds there's always conflict and the dominant personality wins do you think that that's true and with that, can we get into because you already kind of mentioned uh, dissociative epi- or identity disorder? What you feel that this movie is presenting as Norman's illnesses, just with the information that is given to us?
2: Yeah. So <clears throat> I, I think I've mentioned this before in past episodes that, like, I am by no means a DID expert, the, and formerly known as multiple personality disorder for those that don't know. Um, but yeah, not an expert have never worked with anybody with DID. Um, so I, I was wondering that too, of like, is it possible for like, an all like what they would call another personality and alter to like fully take control if you will. And, and I really don't know the answer to that. And then I was thinking about other, other like disassociative, uh, like diagnoses and, and other things. So like there's other things outside like even if you think about disassociation in and of itself, like that is a that's like a, a symptom or a side effect that like I would say a lot of us experience. If you ever find yourself like zoning out, like you're you're dissociating. You're not like fully, you know, mindful mm-hmm. and present in the present moment. So like mm-hmm. that's that is uh <clears throat> I think something that like is more commonly experienced. And then and then there's other other things. So like, um, depersonalization is like the feeling like you're not like fully in your body. If you feel like you're kind of like outside of your body and like, kind of like not really feeling in control of your limbs, just feeling like there's this like disconnect, you're almost watching yourself. Um, derealization where you feel like you're like not in reality. You feel like, you know, you're like almost like watching a movie of things happening around you, but like, you don't actually feel like you're like, like the reality that you're in is, is fully real. So like there's all these other, uh, other like experiences connected to disassociation that I was like thinking about what else could be going on. Um, disassociative amnesia where you like, you know, fully, cannot remember like huge chunks of periods of time and, and Mm -hmm. memory like lapses in memory is a, a core piece to the, to all of these like disassociative, um, diagnoses. So like there is, there is like a piece where it's like really hard to remember or like fully like memory gaps. Um, so like things as it gets, as the symptoms progress, in, in like severity. So like diso- dissociative amnesia, dissociative fugue, where it's like you literally like pack up and, and, uh, kind of take on a new identity. So that was the closest that I was getting in my, in my DSM in my brain of yeah. like, what do I think might be going on? Um, or like that they're, that they're alluding to Mr. This Hitchcockian, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> presentation. Absolutely. Um, So yeah, so like dissociative fugue is, is, is a, I I guess like a, a, it's within the realm of dissociative disorders, um, amnesia of your identity and your, you, anything that like makes you, you. And so you kind of like, you don't know that you are you, um, you, like, can't remember memories, like, things like that. Your personality might be different or just, like, kind of less so. Um, sometimes people will, like, establish a new identity. Um, mm. So the – and the the memories might still, like, be there. So you can, with time, like, recall those memories. Um, but, yeah. So it's really interesting – Uh, and so I was like, oh, maybe that could be what's going on that he's like, he's taken on this other identity and, and, you know, maybe still,
0: but I feel like what they're trying to say is probably like DID proper. Um, yeah. So you're basically saying the movie should not have been called psycho for a psychopath. It should have been (laughs) called DID. It should have been called who
1: did it. it.
0: Fantastic. Oh, good one. So That's this great. is our Solid. last episode
1: yes. of Talking Horror. Um. Um, at least for me, you two can keep going. I think your conversations are wonderful. I think you're both delightful and awesome to listen to, but um, th- that I'll never again get better than that. Thank you so much.
0: Yes. Well, you have that, and if the Jordan Peele thing ends up being what, uh, the not the extinction of um, – what were we talking oh, about? like gentrifying we were talking about, uh, Earth. Aliens. Gentrifying Earth. Oh yes. man, oh, I forgot yeah. about that. Oh
1: yeah. I gotta stick. You I got gotta to at least that. stick through Nope. You're right. You say you Nikisha, yeah, you yeah, saved the yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, it's it's interesting too because like you have uh you have the scene Like we paused the movie and Brian was like, okay, Mm -hmm. but like, what's going on when you hear him yelling like mother, Oh God, mother, blood, blood. It's like, what is, what's the point of that? Mm -hmm. And, and that's the part where it's like, I do think that he like doesn't actually remember because it wasn't him who, who did it. Right. Um, And like, he, he was not like present in that moment. So him being shocked at, at, his mother's presentation, um, Mm -hmm. makes sense because like, he's, he is gone in that moment. He is not there. Um, it's also interesting. The, I mean, the clothing piece too, um, is interesting because I think there are elements to like in DID where alters have like a very distinct, like they have each altar has a very distinct personality, d- distinct mm-hmm. traits, distinct style, ages. They're not all the same ages. So, like, you are getting somebody who's, like, if if he is presenting as, like, the altar of his mom, then, like, he's going to look like her. Um, and so, like – and they tried to explain that, and I thought that was really interesting. Um,
0: is that so- the same as – in the movie Split, do you think that the same thing is going on with presenting as other people? Or is that something completely different?
2: No. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Split is also supposed to be Disassociative Identity Disorder. And I think that they do talk more about how um, uh, James McAvoy's character – spoiler, so sorry um, – but that, that that he is a survivor of trauma. And so like they, I think Mm -hmm. trauma is a way more central, uh, theme to split. Um, because I think the main character has also been a survivor of trauma. And so like that then becomes like a related to the plot, but, um, yeah. So like that, that also tracks in terms of what they're trying. Although I think then it becomes like one of the personalities is a superhero and that maybe is not real.
1: Um, (laughs)
0: <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. Maybe I <laughs> I have a
1: psycho question. You know, what do I know? Uh, I have a I have a question about psycho <laughs> rather. Um oh, okay. When Marion is looking out the window when she first gets there, and um we hear so anytime that we're here we hear the mother's voice, it is clearly mm-hmm. a voiceover of some other actress that they got to play the mother. Yes. Now My – if I had one gripe about this movie, it would probably be this, um, that like do other people hear his – that mother's voice? Like when she is looking out the window, we hear the voiceover of like the the mother talking about – Marion, like you can't keep her hair? Yeah, mm-hmm. um. So there's that aspect of yeah, things. Yeah. Um, like, do we think that Marion heard it? Do we think that she was just looking at the the um the house because it was kind and the wind had let up? So like the idea that uh, that the movie presents it as other people are hearing the mother is a little bit um iffy yeah. to me. But also something that we didn't talk about the end and um, Nikisha's new monologue for auditions is the doctor does make a very specific point about that like Norman's sexuality in terms of like his intense feelings for Marion because she was a beautiful woman like set all of it off Mm -hmm. because like the mother got jealous of Norman that he had sexual feelings or at least found her very beautiful Um, I guess can we talk about all of Mm -hmm. those things and something that I forgot to mention earlier is that man that sister had no reaction to the doctor telling her her, her her First of all, the doctor was super her rude. Sister died, where yeah. she was like, "Is my sister dead?" He's like, "Yes," and Norman killed her. Like, not exactly. Yes. The mother did. He's like, "No, you have to take this woman into another room and sit down and be like, your, your your sister was murdered.' Is- uh, we're going to explain everything to you." Right?
2: Okay. Well, I think things yes. have come a long he's way like, he's like, <laughs> since this <laughs> in terms of how they. He's like. To he's like, yeah, she died, but yeah. you hear my monologue. <laughs> right. Um. In terms of the first thing that you said about, like, people hearing her, like, I do think that it's, it's like Norman's altered version of his mom. And, you know, the house is far away. So, like, maybe that far away, it does sound like,
0: if I'm throwing my voice, do I sound like another person?
2: Did you know it was me (laughs) the whole time? (laughs) I
1: don't think that there was a better way for you to explain that. 100% Hundred percent bought in to that because if we're already oh my gosh Jamie this is amazing and now I don't have any gripes with this movie because if she's that far away from the house and we already know that she hears things in her own head that is her, we're we're hearing mm. what she hears from so far away through her process like her brain process so she may be taking Norman's yeah. mother's voice that Norman's doing and putting a female spin to it oh my god that is so good i love it
0: figured it out well jamie
1: jamie's no longer in the podcast <laughs> because that was perfect i'm glad that i acted
2: <laughs> okay. i'm also an actor now because that was the best performance of my life um, it was pretty fantastic
0: <laughs> yes ten
2: so that but i forget <laughs> i was so caught up in my acting that i forget the Lakeisha, is do you forget
1: lines on stage because you're so into the acting
0: yeah i mean a lot of us do and you can see it because you're so just focused on the intention and then you're like wait what was I even supposed (laughs) to be saying because you're just so like enmeshed in it and then you just kind of want to go off on your own tangent you're like no i am not
1: throwing away my fuck what am i not throwing away garbage
0: garbage (laughs) exactly yeah jeez I will never be, what? I will never be happy. I will never be satisfied. <laughs> um, okay. Sorry. So, Jamie, uh, going back
1: to, like, uh, the doctor talking about, like, Norman's sexual drive and setting off his mother.
2: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, what are my thoughts? I mean, I think that goes back to, like, the enmeshed relationship between Norma and Norman <laughs> and... <laughs> I have to say it like that so I don't mess it up. Mm-hmm. Um like I, I think again, like we don't this is I'm I'm speculating and making assumptions based on like the outcomes. So mm-hmm. I am I'm making an assumption that they had like this very enmeshed relationship and she was like, No, like I I'm the only woman in your life. Like it's yeah. me. There's no other woman. But like she doesn't have to hold herself to those same standards because like she's the one with the power in the relationship. And so she gets to take on a new lover and he's really confused by it because Mm. that goes against what she's been saying this whole time. And so like when he then starts to, you know, have any kind of feelings for someone else, like those messages that have been ingrained in him exist also within like the alter version of his mom in his head. And so like that, I, that's, that's like my understanding of it. Um, But again, like based on context clues and not like actual concrete evidence of the relationship Mm -hmm. dynamic between mother and son.
0: And even the psychiatrist mentions a little bit in the monologue, and I do want to hear what your gripes are about that whole monologue, Jamie. But he does mention um, a sentence about Norman feeling jealous for... His because he felt jealous about his mom, he just assumes that the mom feel, gets jealous about him, and that's why if there is another female that comes around, then you know the mother side of him gets heightened and says, you know, you can't be with another be with another person. So that makes sense in in what uh, you're talking about, but. Tell us exactly how you feel about everything that the psychiatrist was saying. Do you think that it was a, a good explanation of what was going on to them? And uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think it was like
2: a fair explanation, fairer than like a lot of the other contemporary things that feature mental illness um, and like not very well, um, mm. especially because mental illness was such a core component to this film that like, I feel like they, they tried really hard to like offer an explanation to kind of, again, like resolve anything. And I, and I'm sure for like most people, they'd be satisfied with that type of ending. Like Brian was saying earlier, like, let's make sure that we kind of, uh, pull anything else that people might think is going on. Mm -hmm. And then <clears throat> dismiss those things so that this is the only possibility is the one that we're presenting to, to the audience. Right. Um, the transvestite piece out, David, not a fan. Um, mm-hmm. And I think like something else, and and this is also kind of where it gets muddy for me because I think they pull a lot. There's a lot of uh, misconceptions around um, certain mental illnesses like schizophrenia and mm-hmm. disassociative identity disorder. And they tend to kind of like combine those, I feel like in a lot of movies that feature any kind of psychosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there might also be some symptoms of schizophrenia going on in terms of like, you know, how the fact that Norman like, you know, sees like, let's say Norman sees his mom, Covered in blood that then prompts him to say, mother, Oh God, blood, blood. Um, Like we don't know what he is like perceiving. If Mm -hmm. he is like seeing, if he's like looking at his mother's mummified corpse and seeing her alive, if he Mm -hmm. is like just, you know, hallucinating her being present. Um, So like, there are some things where I'm just like, because we're not seeing him experience those things and the only time that we're like seeing him be his mother is at the very end of the film when he's like about to stab uh Sam yeah. and and so like I I just wonder are there other like is he having hallucinations like he's operating under a delusion that his mom is still alive and like telling people that and like those things I would say fall more under like psychosis so um but, yeah, I, I also don't think that diagnosing is super, like, cut and dry. Like, oh, you fit perfectly into this box, and you fit perfectly into this box. Like, yeah, there absolutely. are nuances. Humans are complicated. I think all of this is complicated. Um, but yeah. those were, like, my only other Oh, thoughts. can
1: we also get a I fruit I mean, it is seller. interesting
2: because. Uh, oh. No, no on the fruit cellar, but Great. yes on I- the parlor. I don't think good things Agreed. happen in
1: fruit sellers.
2: I, there's rarely fruit.
1: Too many flies.
2: Rarely fruit. Whoa! Wait! <laughs> like too whoa! Many sorry. Flies, yes. yes to a oh, wine cellar, okay. though. Yeah,
1: that, yeah, that I am good. in favor of. Yeah, yeah just not be a wood fruit cellar.
0: Absolutely.
2: Oh
0: Yes, as long as you – I need you to also have um, cigars hmm. and bourbon. Yeah, okay, like nice cognac glasses.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Drink, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, drink it'll it will make, make you
2: feel better. Um,
1: <laughs> I, I have a question. Um, so the famous line from this movie is, we all go a little mad sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Why does he say that? What is he referencing? In all seriousness, like – it, does he remember killing his mom and her lover? And like, he, it's like his remorse line. Does he not remember that at all? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, his mom was a little bit nutty, you know, like, is it more in reference to the mother he's created in his own head? Um, is it in reference to the thing he actually did? Is it in, like, did you get a feeling for that? Or for, this is a question for both of you.
0: Mm. Nikisha yeah, that's a great question. I did not put the two together. and it seems like he is so dissociative that he would not remember uh, any of the other things that he had did. And um uh, I also go back to the the my monologue and the fact that he was saying that because of the trauma that had already happened, it, he needed a way to um, kind of forget about it. And that's when he set up his mom and, you know, tried to taxidermy her and keep her and, you know, because he was trying to forget what he had actually done. Uh, So, yeah, I never thought about the reasoning why he says that. Uh, Or maybe he's referencing because he feels like his mom is doing the murders, that he's saying that he's giving a kind of justification for his mom Mm -hmm. and all the stuff that she has done but that was him and he's just saying, you know, we all go mad a little uh, sometimes and I think that's why he got so defensive in the parlor talk mm-hmm. about his mom, not wanting to put his mom in a institution or some place. I think that's what they were saying, that he, they, sure. they call it some place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's – he's probably just more referencing his mother uh, when when he says that because he knows that she – is doing wrong things, but he's just trying to justify it.
1: Yeah, yeah I I that works for me. Great.
0: Nice. Stamp, <laughs> Stamp of approval. Parlor Talk Yay! is great. We should
1: we should add parlor talk to all of our episodes from here on out.
0: Absolutely. Likes and grapes and parlor talk. Parlor I love talk it. And parlor um, talk. <laughs>
1: that's super cool. Um
0: oh wait, I have a yeah. quick I have a quick question. Um, before we get into all of the ratings and stuff. Uh, So the detective scene is another one of my top favorites in the movie because he just casually is having this conversation, but he's catching all of the lies, and he's just kind of weaving his way, you know, in his detective-esque manner to get the answers that he's trying to get. And in that, that just had me thinking... Of course, detectives and, and and investigators train for that kind of thing. Or you, they look for certain uh, physical movements or you know things within the person's facial expressions to try to detect if they're lying or telling the truth. I was wondering if there's any kind of sort of related thing in the psychology or the therapist world where you can kind of detect or look for signs of. I don't know, when you're looking for trauma or if someone doesn't want to bring up something or you're trying to make sure they're okay or like you can tell if they're lying about something or, you know, is there anything like that in that kind of world?
2: Um, I guess like, I think part, I think like part of therapy is kind of like taking what people are saying at face value. But I think that there are like, Tools that you can use to like reflect back what you're hearing, um, like respectfully challenge what people are saying. And then also, I think there's a lot that you get from like nonverbal cues that you can kind of read how somebody is like reacting and responding. Are they maintaining eye contact? Are they fidgeting? Yeah. Um, like how are they sitting? Are they like sitting comfortably? Are they sitting like, you know, very rigid and and mm-hmm. um, like holding themselves in a way where they seem really uncomfortable? Um, are they engaged? Are they like dismissive? Are they rolling their eyes? Um, all of that stuff I think yeah. goes, I mean, and, and then you have the challenge of like, do that all virtually? Um, Yikes! Because uh-huh. there is a lot. I I mean, I operate exclusively virtually for for therapy, and mm-hmm. I think it's great, and I I love being able to like provide a service to people that's like accessible from the comfort of you know their own homes. Right. Um, but there is certainly things that are lost by virtue of operating virtually um, because you're only working with like. <laughs> the head part of people. And so like, you don't get some of those cues. Like right now, Brian is biting his fingernails and I could see Mm -hmm. that because it's on screen. But if he was like fidgeting, you know, under the desk like with his nail beds, I wouldn't be able to see that. So like,
1: I'm not only biting my nails, I'm also (laughs) fidgeting below the camera. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it.
2: So, so there you go. Um, But yeah, like, (laughs) <laughs> but that like I I you know it makes it really challenging to then like read certain things that you'd otherwise get to read in an in-person mm-hmm. space um and so I think there's just been like a really big learning curve with like how do we focus more attention on other nonverbal cues that you might still pick up on camera and like what other things do we have to kind of be mindful of doing it in this type of space like given the current situation but um but yeah I think I think that there are things that you can pick up on and like kind of make your own internal assessments about like all right what's really going on with this person like whether what are they trying to say but I don't think it's about like at least my perspective is like, for me, it's not about truth seeking, like whatever the client is presenting as like their reality is their truth. And like, it's not for me to like shift it or change that. Like I'm, I'm meeting them where they're at. And so like, that's, that's my role. So like, that's how I view uh, my approach, but like, I don't know if other people might feel differently, and and yeah, like right. I think also, you know, uh, a detective or or a, a PI or like things like that, like different different roles have different purposes, and so they're going to use like a different set of tools in order to um, try to figure out like how <coughs> factual somebody may or may not be.
1: Oh,
0: absolutely, yeah. No, I'll great. also say,
1: talking about that scene upon i always thought that the detective was a bad detective because like this guy is Mm -hmm. you're catching him in lies like like but i but this time Mm -hmm. i changed my opinion because this time the 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 detective is strictly thinking about like the money and where did this woman go and like Mm -hmm. also the mother was like this hanging thread that he wanted to pull on and see what was happening there and also like this guy is this like slender kind of like demasculated like man. And like, and, and I think that there's definite judgment on the part of the detective. And I understand why he would want to, maybe he thought he was protecting his mother because on the phone call, he's like, I think the guy is fine, but something fishy is going on here. So like, not only is a red herring to throw you off that Norm is doing it to push you more towards that. It's really the mother. But I also think that like, it makes sense based on what that character might think of that situation by catching him in these lies. Um, so I'm, yeah. I'm happy that you brought it up. Cause I definitely saw that scene a little bit differently this time through. Um, I'd love to yeah. hear Nikisha If you watch I mean, this a second definitely. time, like, like now knowing kind of where everything falls that, you know, d- d- uh, Marion crane dies 40 minutes in what the second half of this movie is like, I man, I love this movie so much.
0: I mean it's it's fantastic. I I loved it all around. And again, even knowing the the ending, still how you get there was just as entertaining as mm-hmm. just figuring out what what happens in the end. But uh yeah, with that, do we want to go into the yeah. rating? <clears throat> Let's do
1: a little bit of Rotten Tomatoes.
0: <laughs> it's the Rotten Tomatoes. Game.
1: Okay. Ooh, what yeah. do you think Psycho has on Rotten Tomatoes?
0: I'm
2: gonna say
1: 85. I'm gonna say 90. Uh, it is 96. <coughs>
2: wow. Oh wow. Uh, Good job. I'm a genius. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> now I'm really leaving talking hard. I think uh, <laughs> this is
1: one of my favorite critics' consensus. <clears throat> Infamous for its shower scene, but immortal for its contribution to the horror genre. Because, because Psycho was filmed with tact, grace, and art, Hitchcock didn't just create modern horror, he validated it. Mm.
0: That's real good. It's Hitchcock. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Sh- should, we do, uh, should we do the four S's?
0: Absolutely. Yeses.
1: Skull, scares, shakes,
0: and suggestions. The
1: talking horse, four S's. <laughs> Okay, as we all know, the four S's stand for Skulls, Scares, Shakes, and Suggestions. Uh, skulls, Scares, and Shakes, we rate 1 through 10, 10 being the best. And then Suggestions, we'll give another suggestion to go along with this movie. Uh, so with Skulls, let's start with the therapist. Jamie, what would you give this for Skulls, mental health, human behavior?
2: Um, I'll give it a 6. I feel like they they really put forth a solid effort. It doesn't feel like sloppy or... Um, or, like, thoughtless. Uh, yeah, that's, that's my score. I'm
0: sticking to it. Nikisha? Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to give it one above that. I'll give it a seven. Ooh. It was just really interesting to have it be directly related to sure. everything <clears throat> mental.
1: And I'm going to give it one above that. I'm going to give it an eight because I, of all the movies that we have watched, I would argue that, like, this is probably the closest we've gotten to a 10. There are probably some other ones that have come close to a 10. Um, the Night House came close. Midnight Mass got a 10. The Duke got a 10 mm. from us. Um, from me at least. Mm. Uh, uh, <laughs> the Quiet Place and Dogtooth and his house were really high. Um, so I'm going to rank this up there with a, with a with an 8. Because they obviously take some huge liberties in yep. places. Um, but yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Alright. Scares. Jamie.
2: Um, I'm going to give this, a a 1.5. Um, I don't think it's particularly scary. Um, I also, I mean, I didn't feel that much like dread while watching this. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I, yeah, I, I think it's just like more intriguing to see how the story's sure. kind of being laid out, but not, not particularly Make scary for me.
0: I'm going to give it a three because the detective kill did get me just as far as the overhead shot Mm. and Mm. Norman coming out of nowhere and, you know, getting to him, even though Mm -hmm. it's fall from the stairs. His backwards Ah. tap dance. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, I'm also going to give it a 3 I, I think I'm giving it a 3 because of the 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 needle drops of the score if you will um, in mm-hmm. that moment in particular uh, definitely also the silence of I'm going to give it a scare and this may apply to shakes also. Like I can't take a shower without like thinking someone's going to murder me anymore. Um, so that I think that mm. might be more shakes, mm. but like that's the silence of that shadow coming up and then the music starts when they pull back the curtain like that. That's still like yeah. I still get tight in my chest because of that, because I, I didn't tell the story at the beginning. Every New Year's Eve, my family would – when we were younger, we would play like a horror movie or a scary movie that was a classic. So a thriller or something like that. So one year we watched King – the original King Kong. One year we watched Jaws and one year we watched Psycho and I was probably in middle school or a a little bit younger than that and like this one – And and so I guess I'll go into the next one uh, for Shakes. Uh, I mean, this is a pure ten. I will never be able to forget about this movie. The score, how I feel when I'm in the shower, uh, like uh, when I when I cut into a melon, (laughs) like this is everything. It's just so Hitchcockian.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna give it one down from that. I'm gonna give it a nine. It's it's fantastic all around thoroughly enjoyed everything about the score and the direction and the cinematography. It's beautiful. Um,
2: I'm going to give it one down from you. I'm going to give it an eight. Um, at, m- half because I just like that we're all, you know, yeah. going in order, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but <the> half, uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, cause I also couldn't remember if I had seen it previously, whether, because of most likely due to age. Um, but I also have a terrible memory. But I think the idea of the shower piece is a really good point because I will often pull back shower curtains because I don't sure. like them
1: being closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then suggestions. What are you suggesting to, to pair with this uh, with this movie?
0: so hard. It's just a standalone movie in itself. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to pair one of the same name even though I've never watched this movie but uh there was also a musical about it I believe American Psycho so Psycho and American Psycho <laughs> <laughs> Very different film you should watch that, that, should we that okay, that's We could do that one. That's actually a good one to do. Yeah. Fork put it on our art list. Jamie
2: Um, I have a different, I have a couple of different thoughts. So if you, if you want, so as I mentioned before, um, if you are interested in the depiction of Norman and Norma before everything goes wrong, um, I do remember liking Bates Motel. I didn't finish it, but the first couple of episodes and seasons, I remember being pretty engaging, um. So that's one of my recommendations if you want to stay within the world of Psycho. Um, If you want another Alfred Hitchcock movie that I remember because I saw it recently, um, Vertigo was a great time. Um, Even though it might not hold up as well, it still is a really good movie. Um, So I would recommend that. And lastly, if you're looking for another uh, murder mystery that also incorporates some DID in it, I would... Although that maybe is a spoiler, I would recommend Identity from 2003.
0: Nice. Um, identity. I, don't
1: even think I love identity. And I was thinking of doing it too. Vertigo was mine, but I was also thinking of doing identity. Mm-hmm. But, like, how do you, how do you, I totally agree with you. Like, how do you suggest it?
2: How do I yeah. talk about this movie yeah. without spoiling But it? I do Oopsies. like it a lot. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: I think like a lot of the, I also thought of a lot of other movies that the twist is like DID or something like that. Um, uh, but I'm going to go with, uh, if you want another good Hitchcock movie, um, with like human behavior and stuff like that. Uh, I think that like strangers on a train or rope is a good one. um, and then, uh, but I could also go with Primal Fear, uh, the Richard Gere Edward Norton movie. Um, uh, that's interesting. So I'm going to say, I'm going to go with, uh, or, and honestly, watch any Hitchcock movie and maybe Primal Fear. <laughs> uh, Vertigo is my favorite.
0: Fantastic. Very <laughs> Hitchcockian. Hitchcockian. Very, very Hitchcockian.
1: Noon? No. Uh,
0: who would have thought? <laughs> <Who> noon. <would've laughs> I,
1: I looked at the time. I looked at the time. <laughs>
0: who <would've> noon. Oh. <laughs> <Who'd've> noon. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I think that wraps it up for our uh, fantastical discussion about psycho. You can follow us on all of the social medias Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Talk Horror Pod uh, Pod. And Brian, sure. can you can us?
1: listen to us wherever you get podcasts like Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us there. Five stars, please.
0: And thank Thank you. you. And I do want to sign off with this quote. So when they were in the holding room and the psychiatrist is about to come out and he was like, is my sister dead? And he's like, yes and no. And the police (laughs) are like, are you trying to get some kind of plea bargain, you know, Mm -hmm. for insanity? Like, you know, and he was saying, no, uh, a psychiatrist doesn't lay the groundwork. He merely tries to explain it. And that's what we're trying that's to do That's on good Horror
1: Pod. That was a good one, Nikisha. That
0: Explain is a good one. Explain it. This was,
1: we yes. did it. Week one of March Madness. I think this one, Madness. this one totally like applied. Like this was a good choice, right?
0: Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Yes is yes. Can't wait for the rest of the stuff. So you guys stay tuned for the rest of our March Madness.
1: Yeah. And for those listening week to week, <laughs> uh, The Fly from 1986 is next week. Jacob's Ladder is in two weeks. And the week after that is Misery. And then we're doing all of Robert Eggers' movies leading up to The Northman. So The Witch, uh, The Lighthouse, and uh, The Northman. Uh, so that's what the next couple of weeks is going to hold. So, uh, you know, Watch those films and and uh you know diagnose along with us. No? Should we not (laughs) say that?
0: Fantastical (laughs) diagnosis. Yeah, maybe not. Listen to our diagnoses. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie, do the do this do the screen thing again. Cut me off. (laughs) 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 Thanks guys. (laughs) Bye.